On this episode of Every Family's Got One... Crimes and Misdemeanors. Featuring actor-comedian Jimmy Palumbo. How can I be arrested for reading about some of the greatest hitters of all time? And lawyer-turned-writer and mother of three, Elizabeth Heiss. But the biggest shock was what I saw inside my friends' homes. Hi, I'm Barbara Harrell. And I'm Tony Menudo. And welcome to Every Family's Got One. Season two. <laughs> With more amazing true stories about family. That's right. Today it's all about crimes and misdemeanors. Or as you say, Barbara, crimes. <laughs> crimes and misdemeanors. Misdemeanors. <laughs> Damn you, Long Island accent. Long Island, bad accent, but beautiful beaches, oh, sandy beaches. Thank God there's that. Okay. Our first storyteller is Jimmy Palumbo. You've seen Jimmy all over the place. He's in mm-hmm. commercials. He's on TV shows like Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. Broad City, and alongside hmm, Robert De Niro and Ooh. Michelle Pfeiffer in the movie The Family. The Family. How perfect is that? Yep. And you know what? Jimmy credits his dad for getting him into show business since uh, he always loved old movies and they were always on at his house. And Jimmy's telling a story about his dad. Here's Jimmy with... Jury duty. My dad was 110% Italian, and he lived his whole life in the working-class suburbs of New Jersey. His favorite sandwich was gabagool, lettuce, tomato, oil, and vinegar on Italian bread. No mayonnaise, ever. He loved movies. His favorite movie was On the Waterfront. He didn't go for any of that Marnie shit. He was the type of guy, he got up early, went to work, came home at 5.30, had a glass of wine, ate, two innings at a Yankee game, and fell asleep. Rinse and repeat. So one day, my dad gets summoned for jury duty. He was older then, and he ran his own construction company, so he could take the time to do his civic duty. On the day my dad went to jury duty, he just woke up and did his thing. He came home around 5 o'clock, but he was all agitated. He says, they shouldn't let you sit around there all day in a room with nothing to do, he told my mom and me. Nothing to read all day long, and that place is filthy. I knew my dad was a busy bee, and sitting around like that must have drove him nuts. Then my mother says, Artie, why didn't you bring the newspaper or bring your baseball books? My dad has a real good collection of baseball books, mostly about the old Yankees, Ruth, Garrick, DiMaggio, and most of them are like these picture books, you know. My dad didn't read all that much, but he liked looking at the pictures. And then what he would also do is cut a picture right out of the book, frame it, and hang it on his wall. He must have had like a hundred pictures on the wall. So my dad perked up at my mom's suggestion. I didn't know you could do that. Sure you can, my mom said, and she was happy she could help. Then he told us, I have to go back again tomorrow, but this time I'd be prepared. Great, I thought, problem solved. So my dad goes off to the courthouse the next day, and we think nothing of it. He comes home around five o'clock again. He walks in, and he has like, Five big baseball books under his arm. But now he's super agitated, worse than the day before. He slams his book on the kitchen table and says, I don't want to go back there ever again. I tried to do my civic duty, but I can't take those people down there. I said, Dad, what do you mean? He says, they tried to take my baseball books away. That some kind of cop with a weird-looking uniform and a badge told him if he didn't put the books away, he would never see them again. In fact, the cop tells my dad he could be arrested for reading them. Well, that really pissed off my dad. He told the guy, how can I be arrested for reading about some of the greatest hitters of all time? My mom and I were stunned. 
Why would some security officer possibly care what you're reading when you're sitting in a huge room waiting for your name to be called? Everyone's reading or doing something to pass the time. Why would they treat my dad this way? You know, now I was getting pissed. Then my dad tells us that they kept moving him from room to room, which was a pain because he didn't want to leave his books around, so he had to carry him with him. He said, after a while, you know, these books, they get heavy. My mom and me are still sitting there trying to figure out what's going on here, getting a handle on this. So my mom says, Artie, I don't understand. Don't they just call your name? They ask you questions about if you can actually be on a jury. My father is struggling to be calm. He looks like his head is going to explode. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They did all that. I went from room to room. Then I ended up in a big room with awful paneling. We used to install that years ago. There must have been about 10 of us in there, sitting side to side. So I was just sitting there, minding my own business, looking at a new book on Lou Gehrig. I got at the Five Below store. He said to me, Jimmy, you're not going to believe the price I got the book for. I said, five bucks? I see you've been to that store, he said. All the books, five bucks. Anyway, that's when the cop guy starts yelling at me, telling me stuff like, you cannot read your books. And he starts threatening to take them away. Unbelievable, I said to my dad. And my dad says that everyone starts staring at me as if I was the bad guy on trial. So I started arguing with the guy, and then the judge started getting involved. I said, whoa, 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 dad, the judge? There was a judge? Yeah, the judge, my dad snapped back. With the black robe and gavel, he was a, he was a big fat bastard. He wanted to know what was going on over there. I said, wait, dad, going on where? Where I was sitting, in the box. A jury box, dad? You were on a jury? I don't know. I guess so. We were listening to some case. I asked, what kind of case? My dad says, I don't know. Some guy came to a guy's house and he smacked him in the head with a hammer. He split his head wide open. Blood gushing all over the place. Crazy stuff, Jimmy. You don't hit a guy in the head with a hammer. This guy was totally in the wrong. I said, Dad, what was the guy facing? I don't know, 25 or 50 years or something like that. Hitting a guy in the head with a hammer. There's no reason for it. So let me paint this picture for you. When the bailiff says, all rise, as the judge is walking in, all rise. my dad's sitting and flipping through his basement bargain book on Lou Gehrig. While the prosecution and the defense attorneys are cross-examining a key witness in a manslaughter trial, my dad's earmarking pictures of clutch hitters from the 1950s he wants to rip out later and hang on his wall. When the entire courtroom's quietly listening to testimony that could exonerate or put a man away for 25 or 50 years, my dad's chuckling over a, an anecdote of Mickey Mantle. And yet, in spite of all this, my dad knew the highlights of the case. It's just the kind of thing you expect from my dad. He could read the situation like it was a page out of his baseball books. As he said, there's something wrong with that guy. My dad didn't bring his baseball books to the trial after that. It wrapped up pretty quickly, and the guy was found guilty. No surprise to anyone, especially my dad, because he said the odds were against him. Two strikes facing a tough lefty. No shot. You just don't hit a guy in the head with a hammer. Don't hit a guy in the head with a hammer. A lesson to live by. Yeah, wise words. Mm -hmm. Here are a few more wise words. Hickory Farms Nut Box. <laughs> That's right, Tony. The Hickory Farms Sweet and Salty Nut Sampler has something to satisfy every kind of craving. Mm. But don't take my word. Listen to these satisfied voices. Customers. <laughs> voices of customers. The 
nuts were fresh and tasty. A perfect pairing of nuts. I loved all the nuts. Wow. Hey, want to win your own Hickory Farms nut box? I sure do. What, what, well, <laughs> I'll just send an email to everyfamilysgotone at gmail.com, I guess. Smart. That's everyfamilysgotone at gmail.com. And remember to put nut box in the subject line. You'll be automatically entered to win. You know how many emails I've written with the word nut box in the subject line? <laughs> we will announce our winner at the end of season two. Good luck. Good luck. Our next story is a sweet and salty tale from Elizabeth Heiss. Elizabeth finished writing her book, a coming-of-age story called Scrappy, during the long pandemic summer. And today she shares another transforming moment in her story, Free Candy. I love candy. My mom and dad were civil rights activists. And when our hippie neighbors abandoned their fight against injustice in favor of shooting up heroin... My parents decided it was time to move us kids to a more wholesome neighborhood. Right on, man. Complete with manicured lawns and middle-class homes. It was quite the culture shock. But the biggest shock was what I saw inside my friends' homes. A mini TV in the kitchen so everyone could watch gun smoke through dinner. Boxes of sugar cereals, Fruit Loops, Tricks, Frankenberry Crunch. And the candy. The glorious candy. It seemed every house had a glass bowl on the coffee table filled with the stuff. Butterscotch, peppermint, taffy. It was such a non-event, my friends didn't even touch it. Why would they when their favorite candy bars were stacked neatly in the pantry? And Red Hots and Milk Duds handed out by their smiling moms on any old day, like no big whoop. Don't forget your Red Hots, sweetie. That's when my secret goal became to maximize my candy intake at every opportunity which, at my house, happened as much as my dad mowed the lawn. Next to never. You see, in my house, there were precious few treats, but lots of lectures about how candy rotted your teeth. My mom mainly shopped at the barnyard-scented co-op and returned home to fill our pantry with halva bars, carob chips, and Japanese rice chews. Halva bar, honey? Yep. Desperation candy for the hopelessly deprived. Is it any wonder why I lived for Halloween? My understanding of how candy worked was based on the Halloween model, collecting it free from the steady supply people kept at home. I assumed candy existed as a public service, sort of like library books or running water. It was available in abundance to everyone but us. My only other chance at getting candy was at the regular grocery store, where we shopped once a week. During one particular shopping trip, my need for a Snickers bar was overwhelming. I hadn't had one in months. I had to have it. All I needed was a way to distract mom, but I had no idea how. We all scrambled out of the car and followed my mom through the double doors, making our way to the cereal aisle. My little brother had entered an experimental phase. He grew his blonde hair long like us girls and began schlepping around an old black patent leather purse, prompting shoppers to exclaim, Look at the four beautiful girls! My older sister, a relentless tease, couldn't contain herself, squealing, Four beautiful girls! and doubling over in peals of laughter, causing my mom to spin around to shush her. In the commotion, I tried my luck at adding a cartoony cereal box to the cart. That's when mom spun back around. She took the box out of the cart and placed it back on the shelf. But look, 
now with less sugar and enriched with vitamin C. She ignored me, chose a single box of grape nuts, and left the cereals behind. We were finally making our way to the checkout line, passing the beloved candy aisle. I swear I could smell Snickers. When my sister began chuckling and muttering under her breath, four beautiful girls. That is enough. My mom took my sister by the arm and began a free-to-be-you-and-me lecture. This was my moment. I tiptoed backwards and ran down the candy aisle, following the smell of caramel and peanuts until I located my heart's desire. I shoved my hand in the box of king-size Snickers and stuffed a bar inside the waistband of my stretchy blue bell-bottoms. I looked like I had a king-size Snickers lodged in my intestine, so I crossed my arms to conceal the bulge. I caught up with my mom in a long checkout line, nearly home free. Without warning, a pasty-faced bald man in a short-sleeved yellow shirt came up behind us and tapped my mother on the shoulder. The manager. Ma'am, please come with me, he said. Mom pulled our cart out of line. She took my hand and we climbed the steps to his elevated office next to the checkout. The manager leaned down to me eye to eye. My cheeks burned. You want to tell your mommy why I brought you up here? He asked. I blinked at him, saying nothing. Elizabeth, what is it? Mom asked. Ma'am, I see everything from up here. People eating grapes that we charge for by the pound. Frozen food they dump on a shelf. Well, she didn't do any of those things, sir. Ma'am, your little girl's got a candy bar in her pants. Mom gasped. (gasps) I had been so close. Elizabeth, give it back and apologize right now, she said. I pulled out the Snickers, now sort of squishy, and handed it over. They both waited for an apology. I didn't say sorry because I wasn't. Finally, Mom said, I have frozen juice in my cart and I don't want it to melt. She knows stealing is wrong. Stealing? Wait, what? It blew my mind that candy had to be paid for, that it wasn't just given away. I thought about this all the way home as mom went on and on about honesty and earning everything you get. I apologized for stealing, leaving out the part that I thought it was free. Now it just sounded stupid. Then I asked, you mean if I earn my own money, I can buy the things I want? Yes, you can. Mom said emphatically, her power to the people convictions kicking in. From that point forward, I knew that any special thing I wanted out in the world, I would have to work hard for and buy myself. Not until the four of us kids were grown and sitting at a restaurant before my brother's wedding did we find out the real reason for the black patent leather purse. Each time we entered the checkout line, my brother stood in the tight aisle behind Mom, his little hand busily shoving candy into the purse. That manager was no match for a tiny thief in drag. I never had the guts to steal candy. Or to hit a guy in the head with a hammer. That's very, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Great (laughs) Great, stories. Great, great stories. Hey, do you have your own great family story to tell? Well, we would love to hear it. We would, we'd love to hear it. Um, Now, that's the wrap of episode one. We'd like to thank actor and funny man. um, And to know him is to love him. He's an incredible guy. Jimmy Jimmy Palumbo. Uh, If you want to learn more about Jimmy, and I suggest you do, Mm -hmm. it's uh, 
overwhelmingly interesting, go to Jimmy's official <laughs> website. That's jimmypalumbo.com. Yep. And many thanks to storyteller uh, Elizabeth Heiss. And you can connect with Elizabeth on her website at elizabethheiss.com. How do you spell Heiss? Heiss is H-E-I-S-E. Correct. You win a gift basket. Ooh! Piggery Farms. Now it's time to roll credits. Yay. Every Family's Got One is produced by us. Barbara Harrell and Tony Menudo. Special thanks to Alex Clark for our theme music. Our talented audio engineer, Paul Weiss. Special thanks to Wordsworth and Booth. Mike Stafford for legal and production assistance. The lovely and talented Dawn Nagel. Aww. Catering by Hickory Farms, which is not an official sponsor, but we sure do love them. Subscribe to Every Family's Got One at wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Every Family's Got One on Facebook and Instagram. Or on our website at everyfamiliesgotone.com. See See you you soon. soon!